Hey, welcome to First Baptist Church Online. My name is Steve Polk, and I'm executive pastor here at the church, and we're excited to welcome you to today's broadcast. Uh, the sermon message today Pastor Steve is going to bring is a continuation of our series on, on a messed up church. So today in part four, we're going to be looking at sin and just what just a little bit of sin can do. It's not a big deal, right? Uh, there's people that believe that. And so today our pastor is going to take us through scripture and talk about sin and what impact even a little bit can have on you personally and the world around you, especially your relationships. So let's pray together. Uh, and as we get ready to do that, grab your copy of God's Word and a notepad and uh, get ready to be challenged and encouraged. God, we thank you for our pastor for this message today. Uh, as he be continues to lift truth from 1 Corinthians, that uh, we can best understand the Corinthian church, a messed up church, which is always messed up by people. And today we look at sin and how is sin really a big deal? We're going to find out today. Lord, we pray that you would challenge us and strengthen us and encourage us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a senior in high school, I learned how much it really does hurt the local church when a dedicated Christian and ministry leader in the church falls into sin. There was a, a man in our church. He was a deacon, also served as the Sunday school director. He was at a New Year's Eve party, and he got drunk. He was also a diabetic, which meant he had to make a quick trip to the hospital. He got so drunk and so sick, and news of, of his getting drunk and going to the hospital spread quickly through our small town. That Sunday morning, people at church were talking about it. The pastor preached a sermon on alcohol and getting drunk, and, and I remember some friends at church talking to me about it. They were really upset. They were bothered by it. When I got back to the high school campus following the Christmas break, it was the talk of the school campus. And when I would try to witness to some classmates and invite them to church, some of them would laugh and throw that in my face and, and talk about hypocrites and, and how bad our church was. And his getting drunk at that New Year's Eve party made it much more difficult for me to be a witness for Jesus on our high school campus. The truth is... Sin hurts people, and sin hurts the local church, and particularly when somebody who professes great love for Jesus and is active in the church and serves in ministry leadership in the church and volunteers in the church, when they fall into sin, and public sin especially, it does a lot of damage. And, and unfortunately, some people think sin is not that big a deal. There are people who go to church. And they don't think sin is really that bad, that big a deal. But it really is. God says it is, and it can mess up a church. So I'm continuing today this sermon series titled A Messed Up Church with a message, a sermon that I titled, Sin Ain't So Bad. It's not that bad because some people think it is, but yet God says, yes, it is. And he makes that really clear in the book of 1 Corinthians in our New Testament. So I invite you to open your Bible, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the city of Corinth in Greece, a church that a few years earlier he had planted. He had started that church. Since then, he had left and continued his missionary travels, and that church had become a messed up church, struggling with all kinds of issues. And one of the issues that was causing them to be a messed up church was their attitude 
about sin. They did not think it was that big a deal and it was hurting their church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, read with me as we begin in verse 1. Paul says here, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you. An immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. Now here's the sin. That someone has his father's wife. A man in the church was sexually sleeping with his stepmother. Now the stepmother probably was not a believer or a member of the church because Paul doesn't address her after this verse. But he does address the church and this man. So this man was a professing Christian who was an active member of the church, and he's sleeping with his stepmom. The Bible says in verse 2, you have become arrogant. Now, Paul is saying this to the church. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in the in the spirit, Paul says, I'm not there with you, but my heart is. And he says, where I am, I've already judged him who has committed this, the, the man who's living with his stepmom, who's sinning like this, as though I were present. Verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, so the next time the church gathers, and I'm with you in spirit, my heart, my spirit will be there with you, with the power or the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, I have decided, now listen to this, I have decided to deliver such a one, this man who was sinning this way, to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Now he's not talking about taking away his salvation because the church cannot give salvation, so it cannot take it away. The apostle Paul could not give salvation, so he could not take it away. He's not talking about that, but he is talking about spiritual discipline. He said, I'm going to deliver this one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, the second coming and judgment day. He says, your boasting in verse 6 is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out, excuse me, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. Now, there are several things you and I can learn about sin in the church and and how God views it, how we are supposed to view it and how we are supposed to deal with it. And the first lesson from this, this story is that there are some sins that bring real shame on the church. Some sins bring real shame on the church. In Roman and Greek society of the first century, sexual promiscuity was commonplace. I mean, their ethics and morality when it came to sexual matters were very, very low. It was, it was commonly accepted that recreational sex was okay. You may have sex with your spouse, with your wife to procreate, but recreational sex for fun was, was common and was accepted. Homosexuality was common, especially among men. And, and, and even sexual abuse, having sex with minors, with children, was viewed as normal and, and, and okay. Prostitution was, was, was everywhere. It was legal and it was, nobody thought there was anything wrong with it. I remember a few years ago when Monisa and I were in Italy, we uh, 
toured the ruins of Pompeii, that city in the southern part of Italy that had been covered when Mount Vesuvius erupted. And of course, in the last century, it's been excavated, and now you can walk through that city streets and see all the buildings and everything that were there perfectly preserved all these centuries, covered up, and now you can walk through and see. And I can remember walking down the streets of Pompeii and coming to a house of prostitution. And when you go inside, above the door are still paintings today showing you, depicting, if you will, what was available in that particular room of that house of prostitution. So that's a description of the culture in which the Corinthian Christians were living to whom Paul wrote this letter. And yet in that sexually promiscuous, immoral culture, incest, incest was the one thing they strongly condemned. And in Roman and Greek culture, sleeping with your stepmom, even though you were not biologically related to her, was still viewed as incest and a horrible thing. That's the reason in verse 1, Paul said, this sin that is in your church, this sin this man is committing is, is an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. Now think about that. Here Paul's writing to these believers who live in a culture that has very low sexual ethics. Immorality, sexual promiscuity is prominent. And yet even they would look down on what this church was allowing one of its members to do. And Paul said in verse 1, it's reported. This is not a secret. It's being talked about. People know about it. It's been reported. Listen, sin is sin. The Bible's clear about that. But not all sin is equal when it comes to consequences and damage done to people, to the consequences and damage done to a local church. Not all sin is equal when it comes to shame and embarrassment, and the the damage it does to the gospel, to the church, to the witness of Jesus Christ. And so the first lesson is there are some sins that even in a sinful culture bring great shame on the local church of Jesus Christ. A second lesson is this. Sins which bring shame on the church should grieve us. It should break our hearts. Look at verse 2. He said, you have become arrogant and have not mourned or grieved instead. The Greek word translated arrogant here in some Bibles is translated puffed up because it means to puff up or inflate with air. It's, it's the picture that uh, that you're, you, you, you are puffed up with pride. You are blown up with arrogance. You think you're smarter than you you really are. You see, they had become proud or puffed up, if you will, of their open-mindedness. They were, they were proud of how accepting and loving they were to everyone. They, they, they were proud of the fact that they were saved, and because they were saved, they were free in Christ, and being free in Christ to their mind meant that, that each person could do whatever he thought was right. And this arrogance 
when it came to, to sin, this arrogance when it, when it came to determining what was right and wrong, God looked at them and he said, it is actually to your shame. It's not something to be proud of. It is to your shame. It's not something to be okay with. He said, instead, you should be mourning. You should be grieving. It's the same word that is used for the grief a person feels when someone they love dies. It's a deep sense of sorrow, a deep sense of hurt. When someone sins in such a way as to bring this kind of shame on the church of Jesus Christ, it should break our hearts. We should grieve and mourn over that sin. Not act as though it's okay. Not act as though there's nothing wrong with it. Not act as though it's not a bad thing. It's not a big deal. That's the second lesson. Now, the third lesson from this passage of Scripture is that sins which bring shame on the local church have very real consequences. Now, I've already said they hurt the witness and integrity of the church. They bring shame on the church and on the individual. That's true. But there's more to it than that. Look at the consequences described in this chapter, starting at verse 2 down through verse 5. Let's read it together. He says, you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that. Now, here he gets into the consequences for the individual and the church. He says, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. Now look at verse 4. In the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled. So the next time the church would gather, and I'm with you in spirit, Paul says, With the power or the authority in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I have decided. So church, here's what you're supposed to do. To deliver such a one, to deliver this man who is bringing shame on the church by his sin. Deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. For the destruction of his flesh. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, the second coming and the judgment day. Now, in those verses, we have described for us two consequences when someone sins in such a way to bring public shame on the church. One, they lose their standing. Listen, they lose their standing as faithful brothers and sisters. Now, in all of these verses, I want you to notice the strong statements that are used, that he is to be removed from your midst. In verse 7, you are to clean out. Clean out the old leaven. And then down in verse 13, which we haven't read yet, he says, Remove the wicked man, referring to this man, from among yourselves. Strong language. Strong language, meaning that this kind of sin that shames the church is not something we can ignore. Not something we can sweep under the rug. Not something we can say is not that big a deal. God uses very stern and strong language about this kind of of sin in the church. Now, there are some churches who have a form of church discipline and a person who sins is removed, who sins like this in particular, is removed from membership. Not all churches do it that way. Some do. 
But what's clear is there are spiritual consequences to the standing of that person in the church and his or her fellowship with the church. And they definitely, they definitely in the New Testament are to be removed from any ministry leadership. At a minimum, the principle that is taught in this passage is that we are to stop acting like this sinning brother, sister, this sinning church member is spiritually okay. Stop treating them like they are a faithful Christian, like they are a faithful, obedient disciple of Jesus because they are clearly not. And sometimes in the church, somebody can be sinning in such a terrible way and bringing shame on the church, and we act like they're just a normal brother and sister. No, 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 no. You can't continue to treat them like they are faithful Christians. Think of them like faithful Christians because they are not. At a minimum, we have to stop acting like they're not living in sin because they are living in sin. And living in sin as someone who claims to be a Christian is a big deal. Now, later in this same chapter, Paul gives us a list, if you will, of the kind of sins that bring shame on a local church, the ones that do so much damage. Look with me starting at verse 9 of this chapter 5. Verse 9. Paul says, I wrote you, talking about a previous letter that that we don't have available to us today. He says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Now listen, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, those who are not saved, not part of the church, or or with the covetous and swindlers or with the idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. Paul is saying, listen, listen, I'm not saying that you are not to associate with people in this world who are sinners. You misunderstood me. That's not the point. Verse 11. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother, any so-called sister, if he is an immoral person. In other words... In other words, we can't go on pretending there's nothing wrong. We cannot go on acting as though this sister or brother who is living in such gross sin and bringing shame on the local church are spiritually okay. We can't continue to treat them like they're a a faithful brother and sister. That doesn't mean we hate them. Doesn't mean we never associate with them, have a conversation with them, that we stop loving them. But we can't continue pretending and thinking and acting as though everything's all right and and they still love Jesus. No, no, no. We can't continue doing that, he says. He goes on in verse 11 to talk about an immoral person. These are people in the church now. Covetous, idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, a swindler. Verse 12. For what have I to do have I to do with, with judging outsiders? Do, do you not judge those who are within the church? Listen, the Bible tells us that you and I, as followers of Christ, are not to spend our lives judging everybody out in the world. Instead, we are to be serious about one another in the church. In modern America, we've got it backwards. We judge the world, but don't judge the church. And God says that's backwards. Verse 13, but those who are outside the church, outside the faith, God judges, but remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Now, when when I read these verses, what, uh, what really stood out to me 
is, is Paul gives us uh, some categories here. All of these sins that he mentions that bring shame on the church fall into one of four categories. Sexual immorality, which is what this man in chapter 5 was, was doing. Sexual immorality, sexual Im, impurity. The other is financial sins. A swindler, etc. Sins that deal with money. They, they bring shame on the church. Sins of addiction. He mentions drunk, those who are drunkards and so on. Today, think about alcohol or drugs or, or uh, gambling or pornography. Uh, on and on we could go. Sins of addiction bring shame on the church. And he mentions idolatry. And, and we think that doesn't apply to us today, but it does in terms of having really bad theology and thinking all religions are the same and syncretism. I create my own belief. Well, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but I think those kind of sins God tells us in this chapter bring shame on the church and people who are guilty of these sexual sins, of these sins of addiction, of these sins dealing with money, these sins of idolatry and bad theology, we love them, we love them, and we try to restore them. But we cannot continue thinking of them and treating like them like they are at that moment, that season, faithful brothers and sisters. They have lost they have forsaken their standing as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. These sins have consequences. One consequence is they lose that standing as a faithful follower, faithful believer. But there's a second consequence. They also lose, listen, they lose the protective cover of God's favor. Look at verse 5 again. Paul instructs the church in Corinth in relation to this sinning brother who was shaming the church. In verse 5, he says, Deliver that one, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Deliver him to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit can be saved on the judgment day. Bringing shame on the church with such gross sin has, the, has consequences of, of removing God's favor, God's, God's protection that is over you because of his favor that is on you. And, and the destruction of the flesh means there can be very real physical consequences. Later in this same letter in chapter 11, verse 30, the Apostle Paul writes this, For this reason, talking to the church there at Corinth, For this reason many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep, have died. He's referring to all the sins they were committing and not taking it seriously. And then they would come together and take the Lord's Supper, eat the bread and drink the wine. And because they were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Listen, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that when it comes to the Lord's Supper, we are to examine ourselves honestly and accurately before partaking of the Supper. And that if we don't do that, we take of the Supper unworthily. And he says we eat and drink judgment 
on ourselves. And so Paul says, because some of you are living in such gross sin that's bringing shame on the church, and then you show up and you gleefully take the Lord's Supper without examining yourself and repenting of your sin, the consequence of that is that you are bringing judgment on yourself, and it shows up in sickness and weakness and in some death. Just an example of what Paul is saying in chapter 5 about this sinning brother, delivering him over to Satan, God removing his protection, his spiritual protection and, and physical protection because God's removing his favor on that sinning brother, that sinning sister. And Satan is able to attack and harm. You remember in the book of Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and to the church about financial matters, one of those four categories I mentioned a moment ago. They lied to the church and to the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, about that money and about their giving, and they dropped dead. In Matthew chapter 5, in his Sermon on the Mount, in verses 29 and 30, Jesus said, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And verse 30, Jesus said, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go in to hell. When we say sin ain't a big deal, sin ain't that bad. God says, you're wrong. It is a big deal. And the consequences can be serious. The consequences can be life-threatening. It is a big deal. Now, let me just summarize this with a couple of biblical principles from here and other places in the New Testament. One is this. A, a, a so-called Christian, a church member who says, I'm saved and they were baptized, but year after year after year, they live in sin that brings shame on the church. I am telling you on the authority of God's holy word, that person is not saved. Every Christian will sin. And Christians can fall into a season of gross sin, shameful sin that shames the church. But you will not stay there. Someone who lives that way year after year after year after year is lost and does not know Christ. Because the Bible makes it clear that a true believer who falls into that kind of sin, one of two things is going to happen. They are going to repent and come back to God and it won't take them decades to do it. Or they will die. Because God will not allow one of his true children to live for decades in sin that brings shame on his name and his church. Sin really is a big deal. Now, let me wrap this up with a couple more points. Number four, sin that brings shame on the church is like a cancer. It's like a cancer that spreads and brings death. Back in chapter 5, verse 6, he writes this, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? You put yeast, you put leaven in dough, and it rises. It rises. He said that's a picture of sin. Sin in the body. Sin in your life individually. Sin in the life of the church. If not dealt with, if not cut out, it grows. It spreads. It's like, it's like cancer. 
Earlier this week, I, I preached the memorial service and the funeral of Bill Mackey, my mentor, the man who baptized me and ordained me as a pastor when I was in my 20s. A melanoma was found on the bottom of his foot, and it spread to his nodes, to the spinal fluid that eventually went to his brain and took his life. God says if you don't deal with the cancer of sin in your life, if you don't deal with the cancer of sin that brings shame on the church, it will spread and bring death just like cancer. You cannot ignore it. There are consequences. But here's the fifth point. Love and forgiveness and comfort are available when someone who brings shame on the church through their sin genuinely repents. Forgiveness and love and comfort are available when a sinning believer truly repents. In the next letter Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians, in chapter 2, it becomes apparent that this man who was disciplined by the church for sinning so grossly and so shamefully repented of his sin. He got right with God and with the church. And Paul tells them in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians that they are to forgive him. They are to forgive uh, this man. They are to Comfort him, and he says, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. It's always available, but it's contingent on genuine brokenness, genuine repentance, cutting the the bad dough, cutting the yeast out. You've got to repent. Restoration is not automatic. It's always available. But it's only automatic once someone genuinely repents. You can't brush it under the carpet. You must repent. You must repent. And the more public the sin, then the repentance also has to be public. Now I want you to notice something. We welcome people who repent with open arms, with love and forgiveness, uh, with comfort We love them. We welcome them with open arms. But listen, there is a difference between restoring someone spiritually and restoring someone to fellowship. There's a difference between those things and restoring someone to ministry leadership. When it comes to divorce, for instance, and deacons, we do have a small number of men who are deacons that have in their past been divorced, but it was many, many years ago. And the expectation is that they have repented and they have healed. They've healed emotionally. They've healed relationally. And that their spiritual reputation has been healed. Their reputation with people who know them has been restored because they've lived for Jesus long enough after that that people realize They have healed, and they are spiritually mature. But that takes time. Takes time. Doesn't happen overnight. And when it comes to pastors, I'm just saying this for the church community at large. When it comes to those who want to stand in the pulpit and preach the gospel, want to pastor a local church, there are some sins that permanently disqualify someone from being a pastor. They can be restored to fellowship. 
But there are some sins that mean a man can never pastor a church again, permanently disqualified. Here's the last thing I want to say. What this story in 1 Corinthians 5 illustrates is that we as saints, all of us who are believers or saints, belong to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord, set apart for him and his service. Saints are to live like saints. He says at the beginning of verse 7, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. Saints are to live like saints. And if First Baptist Rock Hill is going to be healthy, if you live somewhere else and are part of another church, if your church is going to be spiritually healthy, then all of us, each of us, me, you, all of us must be spiritually healthy as well. Not bringing shame on the church with our sin. About 20 years ago, there was a, a 92-foot-long commercial fishing trawler named the Arctic Rose that sank in the Bering Sea between Alaska and Russia, just sank in very frigid, cold water. All 15 crew members died. There was no radio call sent out for help, and, and, and therefore people were not sure why that ship sank that day. The Coast Guard eventually found it on the bottom of the sea. They sent cameras down to look. And what those cameras revealed were several doors and hatches were left open. And they don't know for certain, but the best theory of what happened is this, because several crew members were new to that work, hadn't been on the water before, they were new to, they were inexperienced seamen, if you will, and did not understand the importance of making certain that watertight doors and hatches were closed, especially in rough sea and rough water. They found through those cameras, some of those doors have been tied open to allow fresh air in. And they said, based on their experience, that if those doors were open and suddenly they hit rough water and waves, the waves would rush in, the water would rush in, and it would take less than two minutes to sink that ship. Every man aboard died because some who didn't think it was a big deal to close the doors left them open. Sin in your life is leaving the door open for Satan to destroy you. Sin that brings shame on the church is leaving a door open, and it makes the church sick and unhealthy, and it brings shame on the church. It brings shame on the gospel, and it hurts everybody. If you, if you, you're someone who says, I'm saved, I know Jesus. And you're a member of a church, you go to church. But you know, and others who know you know, there is sin in your life that brings shame on you in the church. You're guilty of sexual immorality. You're guilty of addiction to something. You're, you're guilty of, of financial uh, 
unethical financial behavior. You're guilty of that. You, you have bad theology. You believe whatever you want to believe, no matter what the Bible says, and you're bringing shame on Jesus and shame on the church. I'm urging you, I'm urging you in the name of Jesus Christ right now, where you are, to get on the floor, get on your knees and repent of that sin. Acknowledge to God your sin. Don't argue with him and don't make excuses. Have a, a broken heart and through tears, repent of your sin. Not just asking God to forgive you, but turning from that sin and turning to Jesus, turning to righteousness. When you do that, God will welcome you with forgiveness, with love, with comfort. The people of God, the true people of God, the church of Jesus will welcome you with forgiveness, with love, and with comfort, with open arms. But it starts with you repenting of your sin. Oh, please, dear brother and sister, in the name of Jesus, do that right now before it's too late. That's my prayer for you.